listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. I was so taken this weekend by a meeting I had with someone who was struggling with a community and a teacher that they had. She has been with this group for quite some time and is really enmeshed in the, in, uh, uh, in the group and she's starting to question what it is that her teacher is saying, what it is that the community is kind of uh, going toward. There's there's some power dynamics and so forth. It's very, very typical. I'm sure all of you are familiar with a story like this somewhere. There was this implicit request, it seemed, for faith, having faith in the master, having faith in the teacher, that through the teacher, these people could undo uh, ancient and twisted karma. And I know it's probably no surprise to to most of you. I, I spend a tremendous amount of time in this group saying that that's it's it's critical. It's imperative that you recognize that I recognize, that all of us on the path recognize that no one is going to enlighten you. Having, I want to be careful with that word, I'm going to use it anyway, but having that kind of faith can be really, really problematic for awakening. It is not necessarily problematic for feeling better. Any of us could join a community of like-minded individuals who practice, who practice in ways that tend to make sense. They correspond with, you know, kind of where we either are or where we want to go. Nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong with this at all. But if feeling good is only part of the equation, if indeed what's really at the core of our desire, the core of our desire is to awaken to that space beyond time, that space immediately prior to mind, if that's the goal, if enlightenment is the goal, then communities like this really can take us off the path incredibly easily. And there's this real purity and honesty to to this woman's lament. She's saying, you know, so much good has come out of this, but I just feel like I have hit a certain limit. And I am discouraged in that community from questioning. Well, let me just say, for any of you not to question me or this teaching, for any of us not to question ourselves, in this process, we're wasting time.
you better doubt me. I'm some suburban guy. I'm sitting in front of this group of people. I've had some really cool, you know, teachers, really cool teaching that kind of got into my bones somehow. And I spit it out on Mondays. Okay? There's nothing special about me. You can project all sorts of stuff onto me or onto any teacher you want, but ultimately there's not any of this. It's actually quite light. <laughs> it's actually quite fun. Even though the universe may feel very heavy, even though breathing a heavy universe can feel like work, if you can get past that and you see that, you're doing the right thing. But to have faith that a teacher or a group will do it for you is plain and simple delusion. No one but no one will enlighten you. Sorry. That's your work. Enlightenment is an accident. Hopefully, Monday nights make you accident prone. Okay? Hopefully that's what happens. Hopefully you slip. Hopefully the rug is pulled right out from under you. Now I know that I, I, I don't do heart very well. I, I, <laughs> no, I know I'm, I may not sound real tender in, in saying this, but uh, if you could just know that I, I love all of you very much, but I love you enough also to be maybe a little tough about this you have the job of lifting the weight. It's your job to recognize ain't heavy. And how do you do that? Well, we shut up and sit still. Relentlessly. And we recognize, you know, when we get caught in certain areas by certain things, when we find ourselves going after something, doing something, there's our practice in that moment. When fear arises, man, get right next to that. Red carpet right into the house of God. When you start doubting your teacher and you have the courage in that doubt to the teacher, whether it's in a formal sense, me, or whether it's a spouse or a kid, whoever that teacher might be in that moment, when you can bring that doubt into play and explore it without rejecting it or, or without grasping it, if you can be in that middle space, suddenly your light shows up. So please doubt me. Please doubt yourselves. Please doubt everything. Don't get caught by the doubt, but let it arise. Let it be there. Let yourself, while you're on this path, let yourself explore the totality of this work. Let it in. Let it out. Be a doorway that swings open and closed. Okay? Just like you're breathing. Okay? Now, there's 
fortunately or unfortunately, means you have a huge. <laughs> this is your work. <clears throat> the secret that I'm going to share with you is, however, that while it is your work, we're doing it together. We see ourselves in others. We see others in ourselves. We see ourselves through his eyes. There's tenderness. I know that was a little heart right there. You know, a little, I did a little bit of heart right there. You know, the whole tenderness thing. But if we're ready to jump in, we're ready to meet our hearts deepest longing, fearlessly, all sorts of great stuff happens. It may not feel like it at first, but when you start recognizing that instead of having faith in another, in a process, everything deepens. This little side note here, I was, uh, before I, I came this evening, I was uh, with my daughter in the pool. And she is absolutely fearless, almost two years old. And it's the cutest thing in the world to watch this little naked baby. And she's got a gut that has like its own zip code. It's so huge. And then this tiny little bit, like if she were running away from me, I'd see this little wiggly butt, but like no belly. And then when she turns sideways, it's like, I mean, it really is hilarious. And she's running, running around and she's like swimming, Dada, swimming. It's like, oh, all right, Cade, are you ready to jump in? Uh-huh. One, two, and then she leaps. You know, and so I, you know, I kind of, I let her sink just a little bit and I catch her and so forth. And I'm recognizing that uh, this summer, as we've been swimming more and more and more, that she has literally a blind faith that I will always pick her up. Is operating under the delusion that she's a swimmer. This is the same situation I was describing earlier except instead of being in spiritual terms, this is very physical. She cannot swim. She is not water safe yet. Similarly, this woman, she's in a community that has her thinking that swimming is on its way. When in fact, structurally, there's no way that can happen until she recognizes the limitation of where she is. Cade, my daughter, is going to have to recognize through some series of panicked moments, goodness gracious, I don't have this thing down. Now, I, I fortunately am married to a woman who used to specialize in teaching infants how to become water safe and so forth. So, and watching Alicia with her scares me to death because Alicia actually lets her, lets her struggle and then picks her up and Cade's like, <gasps> you know, that type of thing. Um, it actually is still, you know, not her, the pain that she's going through, but just the abject panic and so forth. And then she goes right back and, and does it again. And Allie does the same type of thing. I know I'm yammering on probably too long about this, but this is the same thing that occurs on our spiritual path. Can we get to that point of panic? I can't handle this. This is too much. 
you can become a swimmer if you can test that boundary. As I'm sure Cade will do. As I'm sure any of you who are really that into it, you can make this idea of enlightenment fall away and the reality of awakening can begin to permeate yourselves. Trust the process. Trust the process. It's time honored. Stillness and letting that stillness inform activity. There you are. Practice that. Meeting whatever arises in your excitation without leaning into it or rejecting it again and again and again and again begins to shift your psychological and spiritual center of gravity into a place of complete and total liberation where you are never caught by anything, good or bad. That's enlightenment. That's our work. Go team. Once in a while, we are uh, reminded of the first noble truth in Buddhism, which is uh, life involves suffering, struggle. Struggle because it's, uh, it's a little bit more innocuous, less baggage associated with it. But if we can assume that there is struggle, that's the most primal of uh, life's attributes. And we can then also recognize that there is a cause to this struggle. And then we can recognize that there is a wounded. Then we're talking about a spiritual path regardless of your tradition. No matter what you came from or what you're going to, if you can recognize that there is a struggle, that there's a cause to this struggle, and that there is an end to this struggle, we're golden. This is basically taking the four noble truths and squishing them into three, forgive, but uh, we can look at this in a really, I think, kind of a basic way, and that, that is that every single one of us, for the most part, has a sense of struggle about them whenever we begin identifying with our thoughts. Whenever we are, for instance, looking at uh, I, I should say, whenever we are unconsciously being whipped around by our experience, struggle inevitably results. This is always about, about clinging or grasping to the stuff we like and rejecting the stuff we don't like. We live in that polarity, bouncing back and forth between what we like and what we don't like, trying to preserve what we like and eradicate what we don't like or keep what we don't like at bay. And as long as we're doing engaged in that constant tip, that constant back and forth, there will be struggle. What's the cause to this 
what's the, what's the cause of this, this struggle? It's that we want to preserve or make permanent the happy times. We want to make permanent the stuff we like. We want or maintain the stuff we want. And we want to push aside the stuff we don't. The minute we come into contact with the very, very simple truth that we can't keep anything, that nothing is ours, that nothing can be maintained, ultimately. We're seeing an opening, or we start recognizing an opening that goes beyond the preservation of what we like and the eradication of what we don't. We start becoming aware of our thoughts. We become aware of those thoughts that actually fall. It's almost as if they fall into our bodies. Once that happens, once it falls into the body, so to speak, we experience an emotion. We begin to see that these thoughts and feelings themselves are temporary. And we do that because we develop a very keen sense of awareness of what's going on in our experience. We become aware of the thoughts, aware of activity, aware of the mind and how it influences the body that we move through the world in. We begin to see that. If we can see that, we've just developed a sense of awareness that goes beyond the thought. Stick with me. If we can be aware of the thoughts, that which is aware of the thoughts is not the thoughts. It is a deeper subject. The thought becomes an object. The emotion becomes an object. The feeling becomes an object to something bigger that is aware. If we can be aware of our thoughts, we are actually beginning to open to what is prior. And in doing that, freedom is unleashed on the universe through us because the universe sees itself through our activity. When we begin to see, when we begin to recognize that awareness, thinking, that awareness is not a thought, all sorts of stuff opens up. Awareness respects all things equally, just like the sun shines on all parts of the world equally. And if you're an astrophysicist and want to challenge me on that one, go ahead. You're probably right. It doesn't shine on everything totally equally, probably. But you get the idea. Maybe a better metaphor would be a mirror reflects all things without judgment. Our awareness is beyond awareness is aware of judgment, which is simply a mind activity. And because it's mind activity, it is temporary. Awareness is not temporary. I'll say that again. Awareness is not temporary. Because awareness is not a thing. Awareness is prior all things. Resting there, we open to essentially what is our natural state. 
a state that has nothing to do with our personality. It has nothing to do with our preferences, nothing to do with our attachments, nothing to do with anything. It's free. Awareness doesn't do anything. Awareness is not a state. Awareness is aware of states. You hearing me? Did I lose the entire room? Okay. Every once in a while, I, <laughs> I see you, and maybe it's because you're bored, but every once in a while, I look out into the, uh, the audience, and people are looking at me like this. <laughs> it's one of, the great, one of the great joys of teaching this stuff. <laughs> So, being aware of body, it's key. We begin to see that mind is movement. Mind is always moving. As I said before, mind is always going after some stuff and rejecting other stuff. But it's always on the move. The minute the mind is in deep yogurt. It can't do what it normally does. It feels pinned. Now, you may have experienced this on your cushion or in your chair, whether you're here or at home. You may have experienced one of those moments where it's like, gotta move, you know? Enough, time out. I, am, I cannot sit, I'm, time to go get a peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> whatever it is. If you've ever experienced that, essentially, that's the mind saying, I'm dying here. I'm just dying here. Can you let me out of this already? I don't know about you, but my mind has a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> Slight. <laughs> Coney Island. It's... If we're still, on the other hand, if we're in that, if you will, natural state where everything is a subject to this deeper, vast, infinite, unmoving object, excuse me, subject, wait, back up. If we can get to the point where we can is playing as a subject, as an object to this deeper subject, we're walking into and out of simultaneously awakening. If we can rest in that space, that vast spaciousness of stillness, all sorts of stuff to kind of fall away as deeply trivial. Now there's a danger to this, and that is that we begin to attach to this spaciousness that can recognize everything is trivial. Once that happens, what are we doing? We are attaching to non-attachment, and this becomes quite the disaster. This is what couch potatoes. We become, instead of agents of helpfulness, we become self-indulgent egos that think they're awake. And a lot of damage can happen in that space. Lots of teachings will take us right up to, if you will, the mountaintop, where we start seeing that, oh my gosh, this whole idea of a self, my mind. My mind, I can observe, I can witness this mind, I can witness this body and I'm free of all of it. Nothing matters. 
that's halfway. That's halfway to awakening. The most important and indeed the heavy of the lifting, if you will, comes as we begin to descend, as we become to integrate this insight, this series of insights, this awareness back into our day to day. And that's really critical. That's where rubber hits the road, so to speak. That's, that's exactly where our lives begin to want as an awakened presence. Moment by moment by moment. It's not that we're, we're fully cooked. It's that we now see everything as a choice. Every challenge that arises is an opportunity for a deepening of this truth. Of course, we could choose the other. We could see all things that arise, uh, or certain things, more appropriately, that arise as being so inherently challenging that we revert back to a state on integration or non-awakening, delusion, struggle. Especially when it's somebody else. As I say so often, it's, it's just about the most difficult thing in the world to watch somebody else karma, go through their tangle of selfhood, their fear. And one of the greatest gifts we can give to anybody is when somebody else is going through their fear, it's to turn up the awareness so much that we are not caught by their unconsciousness. We are not caught by their fear. Their fear does not provoke our own. In so doing, we become a receiver and an offerer, new word, an offerer of peace. Becoming this offerer or agent of peace so natural even for those of us like me who have no heart. <laughs> when we can actually meet another in the depths of their fear, when we can meet a situation that screams, elves don't scream back, but have the ability to remain present in that natural state of awareness, there is divinity in that moment that's unsurpassable. It penetrates the situation and allows for our awakened nature, our Buddhahood, our Christ consciousness to begin to flood the scene, whatever it might be. And then we and others begin to see that things are working out just perfectly. Egos hate that phrase. What do you mean perfectly? There's a hell of a lot of work to do. Yeah, there is. But from a place that's divided, are we going to do it from a place that doesn't see the inherent beauty of what's going on? Are we going to do it from a place that sees all things as this versus that? Or are we going to see it 
from a place that recognizes everything arising just like clouds in a big sky from our natural state we see that clearly that all things are showing up in this vast openness just like clouds in a vast sky and we can accept and deal with it with grace when our activity is centered around grace we become agents of awakening. On the other hand, when our activity is centered or sourced from fear, sourced from unconsciousness, sourced from that divided place, them, me versus her, me, you know, whatever, when it's sourced from that divided space, we merely fight fire with fire. We go to war against war. And there's no peace there. So what would it be like to be able to center our activity from this place beyond mind, beyond thought, beyond feeling? What would it be like to be able to look at time itself, past and future, as objects that arise in mind. What would it be like if we could source our activity from this space of the eternal, unchanging openness that we tend to call spirit, or being, or God? It happens when we get out of the way when we start letting it in and through. And this only happens when there is stillness. This is why we sit. Any questions? <laughs> yeah, be very sorry. Yes, yeah. Instead of the question, which I might ask later, but... Um, I was really curious because I got to thinking about the one questioning who um, wants to know. Who is it that questions? Right. Yes. And then there's the one behind that who um, doesn't really need to know uh -huh. or doesn't really be or anything. Right. And then there's the one noticing both of those. Mm -hmm. And why do those all feel not the same. Because one is yin and yang. And the last one you talked about, the third one you talked about, is beyond yin and yang. So, you have the one that cares, the one that doesn't care, flip, the, the flip there, the one that cares and the one that doesn't care. And then you have the one that sees the interplay. And that one that sees the interplay is big enough for all the world's suffering, all the world's struggle, all the world's glory, all the world's everything because it is the universe but when I experiencing when I experiencing all of that it feels like just me experiencing that it doesn't feel like it feels separate it feels like oh tell me about that it feels what, what feels separate you mean like I don't care experiencing 
Is there I there still there? Is, yeah. is there resistance still there? Probably. That's what's interesting. Because then which is perhaps instead of not caring as in it's all good, it's indifference. And if it's indifference, there can still always be a little bit of resistance. And that's your measure. One of the great navigational tools on this process is uncovering where resistance might lay. If you can, if you can uncover that where resistance is, what you have is struggle light. It's ego. So watch, watch for resistance. Okay? Non-resistance. You can still, you can still meet your life from a place of non-resistance. There can be deep conflict. There can be something where you need to actually stand in your light. Right? But when we, we do that from a place of non-resistance, we stand in a situation without creating an enemy. Dr. King, same, same type of thing. It was not, he, was not, he was not fighting a war. He was merely, you know, history turned on a dime on that man's work. But it wasn't just him. It's what he was doing. It was about non-division. And that resonates in the hearts and minds of anybody, anybody, when they're in that, in that kind of presence. Is it always the ego questioning? Is the ego the one that questions? Only if it wants to know. So the difference is, this is a really cool line of questioning. So the ego wants to know. Wants There's, to land on something. Wants to land on something because it wants to then understand. It wants to have foundation underneath it. That which is questioning from the place of wonder, not I wonder, but mystery, tends to be kind of that spacious aha place that has nothing whatsoever vested in understanding. And when there is, when that, that questioning, that wonder begins to kind of pervade, what we start doing is we start separating, uh, uh, or I should say, unclap of ego from our experience. Is that the place where answers kind of arrive on their own? Yeah. Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Can this awareness be obtained? Can the awareness be attained through sleep? Help me, help me, Tomas, one more time. With the, it's, it's. Uh, can the, can the awareness be attained? Yes. You talk about this awareness, the existence of awareness. Can that be obtained through your sleep? Oh, can you? Well, you mean, can you experience this awareness through your sleep? Yes. There's this. Uh, I, the first time it ever happened, uh, in my experience, was was at a retreat, and it was a total surprise. Um, but there, uh, there was this unmistakable, unmistakable recognition of my entire evening uh, sleep. I, I was I was asleep. I went through my dreams from a place of awareness. I went through dreamless place of awareness, and then uh, awoke the next morning from a place of awareness. So the awareness, and any of you who, you know, go on, go on retreats, you can find this to be the case. You can find that, that, uh, that, that stuff, really kind of bizarre things begin to happen. Um, 
uh, the container of this particular retreat where I was was incredibly helpful in allowing you to just kind of go with it. And for several days after the retreat even, there was this rather bizarre constant consciousness. There was, it, there was you, you, you understand why it's called awakening. Uh, having said that, it has absolutely nothing to do with enlightenment. Because you can have, you can have a, a, a state of constant consciousness, but states are temporary because states arise in awareness. Does this make sense? Yes. Okay. So it's, it's kind of like a cool trick, you know, but it's not awakening or enlightenment is carrying that constant into each and every situation moment by moment without clinging. So I tend to, I mean, there are people that spend, spend years perfecting certain states, you know, that they can get to. Um, I, I find that to be interesting, but it, what's it interesting to? My, it's not interesting to what's beyond the ego. Yeah. I thought I saw a couple of hands. I wanted to, Yes. Um, so it's just a statement? Yeah, that, that's You're going to tell us what you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. But, um, I, but, um, <laughs> uh, I'm reading a book and I forget the exact name. It's something like Turning the Mind into an Ally by someone with some Tibetan name that I also can't pronounce. But it, it's, it's really good. It's really well written. Yeah. And he, he wrote in one chapter that he took his friend, a monk, to see a movie. It was the guy's first time in New York City from Tibet. So, and they went and saw How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> so they watched the movie. And they came out, and the monk, it was kind of quiet, and then he asked just in this respectful, wondering tone, was that Jesus Christ? <laughs> wow. And I just thought, what a great way to go through life, that everything's, you know, most of us, if we thought that was someone that people worshipped, we'd be like, what a stupid religion. It's like, hey, the Americans worship the Grinch. That's awesome. That's that's highly interesting. And just just if you saw everything that way, I think it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, it's <laughs> you bring up a really interesting point, Laura. There was a, I was at this retreat um, years ago. If I may share another little anecdote, uh, and this this woman asked. Uh, uh, the teacher who was running this thing, he's a very, very skillful, skillful teacher too. And she said, uh, okay, 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 let me just get this straight. If the Buddha walked into this room right now, what would happen? And the, the teacher said, she would be totally amazed at each and every single step that she took. And it was such a cool way of saying it because it absolutely rattled the, the image that a lot of people had in the room, which is, what, no, 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 Buddha is a man. That was number one. And number two, it's like, what, being step? It's being awake to every step. Being awake to what? To wonder. Yeah? Um, we need to be so careful about what we cling, what we cling to. You know, and so your description of this monk kind of, you know, 
just, I love the way your, your hands did. As someone who talks with his hands, I really <laughs> admire good, good, you know, it's just okay. It's okay. There's wonder. And you know what? The universe is really light in that space when there's wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Great to see you, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Did I catch another hand? You did, man. <laughs> you are brilliant at that. Yeah. Is it time? Oh, yeah. Yes. Please. Um, when we talk about awareness and being unattached, so if we're, we care about and they're pouring your heart out to you mm -hmm. and you're watching them struggle mm -hmm. and you know they have to do this. They have to do this. That they're not going to be open to anything you say. You're, you're not going to help them at all by offering any suggestion or the fact that you've been down there. And so I look and I listen and I kind of do the half smile and be calm. And I'm, I do care, but I'm trying to be unattached and watch them struggle, watch her cry, and I don't react. That happened last week. I just watch her cry and watch him struggle, mm -hmm. and I don't do anything, nothing. I don't offer anything, nothing. And did they slap you when they walked out of the room or anything, or did they? You know, I'm teasing you, but because yeah. there's a real, be really careful with that. I, I don't know what to, I, I know if I offer anything, it's going to go poof. Right. So, I know they have to struggle. I, I see that. They're, they're dead on this struggle. They're, this is what they want to do. Let them struggle. I don't know what else to do. How about not doing? Right, right. But see, what if we can meet. Let's say we've got, let, let's, let's draw this out a little bit. Let's say we've got a situation where two people are pouring their hearts out to us and so forth. Move. The typical egoic move is to go into fixer mode. Okay, that's the typical move. It's like, okay, I've got to fix this. Then, as we start going along spiritual paths, one of the things that the ego then can do, which is equally destructive as to being fixer, is to go into... I'm not even going to... Now, hang on, hang on. Just stick with me here. When we don't respond, that's still ego saying, ain't going to touch this. They have to go through it on their own. Okay? But as we start actually playing with this awareness, we become aware of their heartbreak. It's very hard for us not to all be broken in the process. That's just fine. Okay? Letting our heart break totally in the process. Maybe we cry too. Then what happens is we become, we, we totally recognize our connection with their pain as opposed to our separation from it. We recognize our connection, we're no longer divided. And then we've actually done the thing that people need more than anything else. We have seen them and we have heard them. That's where consciousness, that's where awakening begins to play itself out in relationship. When there is connection, 
interconnection, merger, without. Does this make sense? Yeah. So in other words, one of the most helpful things we can do is instead of not reacting, okay, is to actually be intimate with where we are in the moment and not giving in to or not avoiding wherever we are in that moment. It might sound, you know what, guys? I love you both, but I, I can't do this now. Can we meet at another time? I just put my arms around her said, I'm sorry you're going through this. Yeah. It's the, the, left it, I... One of the most powerful things any of us can say when someone else is going through pain is, oh, my goodness, this has got to be so hard for you. It's, it's absolutely, it's, especially if it comes from a very authentic place. Because then, then how do they feel? They feel held. Okay? They feel supported, seen, and heard. Not judged. Okay? Not, uh, you know, not, the, ego, the ego has kind of taken a back seat to this, well, does it work? Uh-huh. And it's the way that they come in, I bomb, and then it starts, I'm telling you, the same thing. And it sounds to me like there's a lot of resistance going on right now in this situation for you. Why, why do we have to go through this every week? Wait, 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 wait but listen, listen, let the practice, I, know, I, I hear you, but see that. Let me just tell you this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Hello? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, parenting. I don't say a word. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard, Mom. I mean, and, and I, 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 this must be very hard for you. She's crying. You didn't get the joke, did you? <laughs> Cindy, you're getting caught by their unconsciousness. Okay, so what can you do to be most helpful? Just sit there and take it. If it's not something you can authentically take, don't. Okay? If you are walking out of those situations feeling totally depleted, okay, then your ego is going wacko in those moments. Ah, everything's fine. Oh, that must be hard for you. Oh, you know, you know what I'm saying? I think it wears on me after a few times of that. It wears on, e on. egos get worn out, okay? Your awareness of getting worn out cannot be touched by fatigue ever. Go there. Rest there and see what happens. No idea what I just said. What did I say? Your awareness. Haha. Your awareness. Brilliant. You wait, say it again. Your awareness of being worn out cannot be touched by fatigue. Okay, that was good. Thank you all. Thank you all.